may turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. And as we ask that question in song, where else may we go? There is no other place to go besides God's Word to where we can find eternal life. And today we are in Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 11, and we will go through verse 13. If you come today and you do not have a Bible with you, you may take the Bible that's in front of you in the pew and turn to page 1002. We're here in Hebrews chapter 4. The title of our message today, what we're looking at, is the Word of God is offensive. And we will see that clearly today as we look into His Word. So here we are, Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 11, because there is no other place to go but God's Word to find this truth. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is offensive. It is used as a weapon against the enemy, as we speak truth against his lies. It is used to pierce deep within us, to carve out the old fleshly nature that still wants to rule us, that we may be ruled by Christ as we hold firmly to your word, that the power of the Holy Spirit would teach us this word. So, Father, I pray that today, for all who are here, that we would be listeners, we would be hearers, also doers of your word. And I pray for hearts in this room that are hardened towards you, that do not acknowledge you as Lord and Savior, do not trust that you have paid a great price on the cross, Lord, that they would put their full trust in you today as your grace goes forth through the preaching of your word. God, I ask that you work mightily. We're grateful that you have gathered us together today to focus on your word. We ask your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you may have a seat. Just to update you where we've been here in Hebrews, um, we have come to a very important moment in this letter. The author, unknown, but we know that the Holy Spirit is at work, so the author is God, writing to Hebrew people that are Christians. They're tempted to go back. Where are they tempted to go back to? They're tempted to go back to their old Jewish roots. That in this day and time in which this letter is written, it would be safer for them to turn back. Okay, Instead of moving forward to where God has called them to go as the church. Their full trust is in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And those who love Jesus during this time are facing a sword of persecution. So they understand a sword. When the writer writes that the Bible is a sword, they can relate that to death. So that's why it's very important that we come to this point. So we have seen clearly up until this passage that Jesus is better. Because really what the author has done, he's walked us from the beginning of creation and then Also to say that Jesus is better than the angels, saying that Jesus is better than Abraham and that Jesus is better than Moses and that Jesus is better than Joshua. 
to make it very clear to say all of these men that you had looked to in the past to say they're great men, none are greater than Jesus. Which Let me just insert this right here. If somebody ever asks you the question, who's your favorite Bible character? Please say Jesus. Uh, if you're saying anybody other than Jesus, it's just like saying Brian is my favorite godly character. You don't want to do that. Okay? You don't want to call upon another person other than Christ. So I've heard people say, well, besides Jesus, um, this person. That's okay. That's all right. All right. But Jesus is the hero of the grand story. So that's what we're seeing here in Hebrews, to encourage them, don't turn back. And so now we get to this point that we can find rest in Jesus. So the Sabbath, what we talked about last week, is not just about a Sunday, You don't get all your rest today stored up and hopefully it lasts through six days. No, the Sabbath is found in Jesus. And since we can have a relationship with Jesus because he went to the cross for us, he died, he rose again, he is alive. We have a relationship with Jesus. We find our rest in Jesus every day. Every day is Sabbath rest in Jesus while also upholding that it is important for us as the church to gather together. Because if we are to continue to remain firm until the end, church, we must do this together. And so here we are together. We're back here in God's word, and we get to verse 11, which, again, to strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Just a reminder, many of you have heard this already. For those who are here, maybe the first time with us today, you can read in Hebrews, and you can think that, Oh, losing our salvation is possible. I can show you in plenty of places in Hebrews where that happens. See, they they fell away, and he mentioned brothers. This is a litmus test. For those who are truly followers of Christ, you're going to persevere until the end. So make sure that it's not just a walking the aisle, assigning a card, getting baptized, praying a prayer, to be all of the credentials of your salvation. Your credentials of your salvation is that you continue to persevere until the end, that you would never deny him, that you would always faithfully follow Jesus no matter what the cost. That's what they're hearing. And so today we are looking at the word. We are looking at the sword. As we look back in the Old Testament, it reminds us in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So it is important for us today, church, to hear to hear the word of God, to listen, to pause, to pay attention. And so we see that the word of God is living and active, which means it's alive and it's, it's active, okay? It's ongoing. It's not just historical words on a page that meant something at one time but have no relevance for today. It's dangerous if we believe that the Bible was a book that related to back then but not today because then we would constantly change our message. Church, we live in a day and time where you're going to be tempted to change your message to fit nicely into culture. I think this is becoming more and more of a reality for you. I want you to understand that it's not by government, it's not by popular opinion that's going to establish what the true authority of the word in which we live our lives by. It's it's not by them, it's by this right here, the word of God which we study. And I hope in your heart that you would say amen to that, that you agree with that, because you must firmly hold to the word of God until the end. And maybe when things heat up a little bit in our surroundings, maybe that's a true litmus test to see who are the true followers of Jesus. 
So we come today and we see that the Word of God is alive and active, not just words on a page that was from the past. You say, well, how do I know that they're still alive? Well, here's one way that you can know that these words are alive and active. You look at somebody who's put their full trust in Jesus, and they live out the Bible. And you say, oh, I've done that. I've looked, at, I've looked at Christians before, people who said they're Christians, and then I've seen the way they live their lives. Well, here's the truth into that. Many people call themselves Christians, okay? And there are many people who call themselves Christians who are not. And so it could be that they're saying, yes, I'm a Christian, and I believe in the Bible. And you say, well, I've seen their lives, which means that the Bible is dead, okay? Doesn't relate, doesn't matter. They're not living it out. It's not alive and active. No, it's not that the Bible is dead and inactive. It may be that the person that you're setting your eyes on who's saying they're a Christian could very well be dead and inactive in the faith, okay? There's a difference. And so when we come to the Bible, we firmly hold that the Bible is truth. We do not apologize for what God's word says because it is God's word, not man's word. Knowing my tendencies, if it were my word and if I were to speak so boldly, there would be times that you would be offended and I would back up and I would say, I'm sorry, did that offend you? But because it's God's word, I offer no apologies. It's not up to me to apologize for his truth because I too am offended by the word constantly. And so 1 Peter chapter 1, 23 through 25 says, since you have been Born again, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. But listen to this. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. That's important to understand. Last night there was a big fight. A guy named Mayweather, maybe you've heard of him, won a big fight, got paid a lot of money, and the loser got paid a lot of money too. I mean, it's not bad when you get paid millions to get beat, all right? But he's famous today. He's unbeaten, undefeated. And can you imagine the pressure of a boxer to remain undefeated? People are always going to challenge you for that number one spot. But there will be a day that even Mayweather will fade away, just like a flower. He'll be crushed because his physical body is not made to last forever. And people can look to him and say, you're the hero You're lasting. You're forever. But no, he's temporary. He's in the moment. The word of God is everlasting. It doesn't fall. It doesn't perish. It does not die away like grass in the fall time. And for us in South Georgia, the winter time, right? Okay, so does it die away? So what about you? If you could sign up for a 15-minute session with God to verbally hear from God, undivided attention from God, You you could listen to him, you could hear his voice, I imagine that all of us would register for that. Oh, there's some things I'd like to tell God. There's some things I'd like to hear from God verbally. And so we'd sign up. We'd, we'd have long lines into that booth, right? But you know, we can hear from God as we read his word on pages. And you say, well, that's a little bit harder. Well, it requires faith. And that's his requirements, not ours. But he is so lovingly and so graciously giving you his Holy Spirit so that when you read the scripture, you can understand it. And so you do have this time. We have words which are written and preserved for us to receive instruction so that we may abide in him. So the question is, are you abiding in the word of God? Meaning, are you listening to his word today? Just as if you were in a booth and you were hearing the word of God audibly, is there really a difference that you hear it audibly or that you read it on pages? I say no. 
It's right here before us. We hold it in our hands, and yet many times we forsake it, just like Israel did in the past. They even heard the Lord. They saw his works, and yet they wanted to go back. May we not turn back. There's no other way to abide in Christ, absent from the word of God, which we boldly stand on. So, understanding this, faith comes by hearing. That's it. Faith comes by hearing. People say, well, if God's sovereign, if God is at work, why does he need us? That's a great question. It's only by his grace that he would want to use us. That's it. That's the answer. I mean, he can reveal himself in any way. But what a beautiful picture of redeemed man that was broken and dead and had no pulse for wanting to glorify God and has been made alive through Jesus Christ. To be representatives, to go and implore on behalf of God the message of Jesus Christ so that others may hear the word of God and repent. So faith comes by hearing. And if you're here today and you don't have faith in Jesus Christ, it's my prayer that through hearing the word of God, you will have faith through God's grace and you will receive this good message in which you too can stand upon. Romans ten seventeen says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So church, if we believe this, if we believe that faith comes by hearing, if you really believe that, I believe that we would constantly share the gospel with others. So I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands today and say, when's the last time that you shared Jesus with somebody? Because it is my hope that we are always on the lookout for the opportunities that God is so faithful to give us every day to share Jesus. You don't even have to pray for opportunities to share Jesus. They're there. The prayer should be, God, may I take the opportunities that you so graciously give me to speak the name of Jesus. And in the day and time in which we live right now, you can speak the name of Jesus and the harshest persecution that you're bound to face is laughter and rejection. And we are so weak, okay? We're so frail. We're so JV level when it comes to Christians around the world that when we look at being laughed at by somebody or made fun of by somebody, we back up because we care about me, reputation. Christian, your reputation dies when you follow Jesus, no longer your reputation. It's the reputation of Jesus Christ. That's what you should glory in. That's what you should take joy in. That should be your hope. You know, the fear of that is that if we really hold on to that, that people may call us Jesus freaks, that we're the radical ones. And many of us have decided we don't want to be that extreme for Jesus. We want to be half in, half out. It's not what God's called us to do. So sharing the gospel, hear from one atheist. This is an atheist who says this, one who does not even believe that there's a God. But he hears Christians who say that Jesus is alive, and this is his response. We have to conclude that a Christian with no passion for the lost is in serious need of self-examination and repentance. Atheist Penn Jillette, an avowed and vocal atheist, says, I've always said, you know, that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell and not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it and that truck was bearing down on you, there is a certain point where I tackle you. 
And this is more important than that. Spoken from someone who doesn't know Jesus. And he's saying, Christians, if you believe that it's that important, but you won't speak it because you're afraid to offend, that's not love for somebody. He's saying, that's hatred. Strong words. If we believe that hearing the word of God brings about faith. Well, we have to understand this, church, and and be clear on this, that the word is offensive. It's offensive because it's a lethal sword. It's a double-edged sword. Again, I told you that the ones reading this letter, they know what the sword's all about. I mean, they may have very well witnessed already Christians being stabbed through with swords because they love Jesus. And so when they hear a double-edged sword and then they see that the double-edged sword is the word of God, that doesn't mean that we go and kill people who won't follow Jesus. That's not true conversion. That's not what we've been called to do. No, we take to them the gospel, that the very words of Jesus Christ may pierce our hearts. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit. So when we look back on Ephesians, we also see that it is an offensive weapon, Ephesians chapter 6, used against the enemy. Jesus did this in, Jesus, uh, in Matthew chapter 4. When Jesus comes out of the wilderness, 40 days, 40 nights, he comes out and Satan attacks him right there with some lies. And, you know, Jesus responds back with Deuteronomy, okay? All three times he responds back with truths from Deuteronomy. When's the last time that somebody challenged you and, I mean, you just quoted Deuteronomy like you have your quiet times in it every day, right? And Jesus speaks the word to him and defeats the enemy right there, shuts him down with the word. The word is a sword. We use it as an offensive weapon. We speak truth when lies come against God. And that was the attack. The attack was once again on God and God's beloved. You trace it back even further, Adam and Eve, when they went through that temptation, they didn't respond with God's promises and God's truth and God's warnings and instructions, and they failed. Jesus models for us how we deal with temptation with the sword of truth. And when he is tempted against the tempter, he prevails. And he prevailed until the end. This is why we put our full trust in Jesus. But it's not only used to defeat the lies, but it's also offensive to our flesh. It, it cuts away. There is a divine surgery that takes place in us daily when we read the Bible. So it's to put to death the unhealthy deeds of the flesh. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Put these things to death. All these things continue to live. We must put them to death daily. And you, Christian, are responsible for putting them to death. So we don't just use the word to defend our viewpoints on life. Learning just enough of the Bible to complement our personal beliefs. This is when we say, well, what the Bible means to me is, if anybody ever starts that sentence, Cut them off right there before they tell you anything else. What the Bible means to me, well, listen here. It's not what it means to you. What the Word of God says is the correct way to start that sentence. It's not let's read the Word and, and get 200 different opinions here in the room today. Hey, let's, let's read Hebrews 4, 11 through 13. Tell me what that means to you. How does that sound to you? 
And yet, many times we've engaged in Bible studies where that has happened. And you hear ten different opinions on the Word of God, and we walk out of there not sure what the Word of God says. The Word is the Word. It means something, and we must be diligent to study it. So, I got this from another pastor. The Word of God, and the way we treat the Word of God, shouldn't be like a friendship bracelet. Anybody have a friendship bracelet on today, if you would, without shame? Can you just lift that up in the room? Okay. Any men who have them on? Okay. Don't be ashamed, men. I know you wear them. All right. So, we have these friendship bracelets, and take a bead, and you put it on, take another bead, nice little colors and shapes. And here's what we can do with the Bible. We can say, you know what, I like that verse. You know that John 3.16? That is a nice verse. For God so loved the world, gave his only son, whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That is good. Everybody needs to hear that. And you're right, everybody does. But we take that, we say, I'm going to take that and I'm going to put it on my bracelet. There it is. And then later we read, and we we like Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I mean, that's good. Because that means I can do anything through Christ. I'm going to put that on my bracelet right here. And then we, we keep going through Scripture, and we pick out different ones that are very friendly. Oh, you, you know the plants for me? Plants to prosper not to harm me? Putting that on the bracelet right there. Okay? Oh, trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings. and all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll direct the path. You going to direct my path? Put it on there. And so before long, what we do is we form this bracelet, and then we put it on, and we say, this is the Bible. This is the Bible. And you can't speak against it, because this is what I believe. This is what God has taught me. But has God, are you relying upon God to teach you his full word? Or have you just picked and choose from maybe your favorite devotional which verses you like and left all the other verses alone? There's a lot of tough scripture to deal with, church, that you must grapple with and pray over. What I have noticed is that people want to leave it alone. Don't talk about it. Don't touch it. Don't embrace it. Leave it. Is almost scripture is there for us not to understand. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. Be careful that you don't put a nice little friendship bracelet on and say, but how could you ever say something? My friendship bracelet says different. You get it? Be careful that you don't pick and choose what scriptures you like so that it complements your life. Make sure that you read the full word of God so that it continues to put your life to death. You say, well, that doesn't sound very friendly, is it? Well, I don't think the Word of God is meant to be a friendship bracelet that we wear around to complement our lives either. So we must deal with the Word and understand that the Word of God is lethal. It puts to death these things that we think should be alive in us. So what do you know about the Bible? And are you allowing the Word of God to kill your flesh instead of feeding your flesh? See, because a lot of times we can take the word, we find what we want, we stay in that little area, and we hold to the Bible and say, I believe in the Bible while entertaining flesh constantly. No change in our lives. And we can quote verses, but it doesn't pierce our hearts. It doesn't bring conviction. You see, we were once dead, Christian. Dead. No pulse. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So first century, to the Hebrews, you were once dead. You are now made alive. 
Dead meaning you had no reaction to God, no love for God, no adoration for God in his glory. If we believe in what the word says, we were dead. But then when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we become alive. There is a resurrection that we too receive in Christ. He set the model for us. He rose from the grave. We too rise from death to live as Christ. For me to live and to die as gain is what Paul says. So while I'm here, I'm going to live for Christ. And when I die, it's all gain. Hallelujah. It's even better. Would your heart say that today? To live as Christ and to die is gain. But for those who would say, because I'm now alive, it doesn't mean that I sin anymore. No, we still sin. Anybody sinned in the room in the last week? Okay, okay, hands down. Anybody lying because you didn't raise your hand because you sinned? Okay, all right, we got you. There it is, all right. We've all sinned this last week. We've all sinned today. You know, recently it was told to me that Somebody said, you know, I don't like hearing all the time that we're sinners and that we've sinned. I don't like that. I like hearing that I'm a saint and that I'm a new creation. And that's good. That, absolutely. Amen. Amen. But don't forget, too, that you constantly sin as well. Because here's what's bound to happen if you do not reflect that you still sin. Here's what's bound to happen. You're going to think that you're not that bad. And that you constantly need Jesus every day. When it's a reality to you that you're going to sin, and you're going to sin against God today, Christian, but because of his love and foreknowledge and understanding and what he planned far in advance before you ever sin today, Jesus paid for that sin on the cross? Who do you glory in? Jesus. Make no mistake, there should never be pride in a believer. How could there be when you understand that you are dead and the only way that you can live is because of Jesus? And yet, every day, we continue to fail and yet we have this great love. May I remind you once again, some of you are getting married this summer and you're going to stand at the altar and you're going to say, I commit to you, I covenant to you that I will always love you. The truth is, is that the 40-year-old version of you down the road can't express that type of love that you're going to have then in the moment when you're 22. You can only stand on the love that you have for that person on that day, but you're making a covenant that your love is going to grow and persevere through time, that you're going to love them more and more and more. To say, I love you today as I will always love you, I'm hoping that's not the truth, because I look and see that love grows through time, but only Jesus. Jesus, when he redeems your life from the pit, says, I love you. The same today as I always will. You know why? Because it's not based on the conditions of your faithfulness, but on his faithfulness alone. That is good. If we based our marriages off of that, our marriages would be stronger. So it's based on his faithfulness. So our flesh is still alive, or else Paul wouldn't have spoken of it. Live by the Spirit, so you will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. Somebody said, well, he's talking to sinners. No. Yes, in fact, that Christians still sin, but he's talking to the church. 
you still have that fleshly nature. And it's like that villain in the movie that just won't die, right? You know what I'm talking about? When you think that villain's dead over there, and then whoever killed him, okay, I know I'm getting kind of graphic here, all right, but, but would go and check on them to make sure they still have a pulse. And everybody in the theater knows, don't go check on them. They're not dead yet. Of course, they're going to go check on them. As soon as they go, they grab a hold of them back and they're, ah, you know what I mean? And, and right there, you realize the villain's still alive. And the whole time, you know, I knew it. I knew it. They still had a pulse. Still had a pulse. And it's so hard because you're like, you want them to kill them, but then you're thinking, is that right? And then you're totally, and I'll never go see a movie again. That's how you feel. You walk away and you say, never theaters again. I get that, all right? So our flesh is the villain. Still has a pulse. Still has that little pulse. You think it's dead. You go through a week or you go through two weeks and you're like, man, this is good. I haven't struggled with this temptation in so long. It's been a week and a half. And then the next day you get bombarded and you fail. And you go, I thought I was done with this. Your flesh is still the villain with a heartbeat. So you are to take the sword and you are to pierce through it daily. Every day you come to the word so that you can put that villain to death through the power of Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And so When we come to the word of God, we are putting to death our deeds of the body, our flesh, that villain that still has a pulse. Let me just go check and see if it's breathing. It's going to maul you. Don't get too close. That's our flesh. So when you gather together for your quiet time, and you realize that the Spirit is at work, then it's not just you sitting down with your cup of coffee and your Bible and Nestling in and having a nice little read that morning. I mean, make no mistake, reading the Bible can be very comforting. can bring you great peace. But somebody else is there too, the Holy Spirit. Christian, when you go to read the Bible, call upon the Holy Spirit to teach you his word. He wrote it. He would love to teach it to you. And so we hear the word so that the Holy Spirit is at work and it's extremely precise, it's steady, it's reliable, to expose us. The Word of God exposes us. Lately, some of you have said, wow, you you haven't bothered to step on any toes lately, have you? I'm saying, that's Hebrews. That's Hebrew. That's the Word. I mean, I don't know about you, but when when I read the Bible, every time I read the Bible, it exposes something in my life that's not glorifying to God. It's the way for all of us. It should also bring us great joy that we can put our full trust in what Jesus has accomplished. But it is a sword which is so precise that even the thoughts and intentions of your heart, many times you go out and do something and then years later you look back and go, my motives weren't pure in that. But we have a hard time in the moment knowing when our motives are pure. Word of God can slice right between that. That's precision. Divinely accurate. And so it exposes us. Because you know what we like to do when we read Scripture, if we have the nice little friendship bracelet on and find all the friendly verses and 
don't continue to go through the difficult passages. It's like that sporting event where you get the nice little foam finger that says you're number one or your team's number one. And that's what we like to do. We hold the Bible in one hand and we hold the number one foam finger in the other hand. Because we're looking for the verses that says, I'm number one. I'm great. I'm saved. I'm good. I'm better than everybody else. And we say, I'm great. I'm good. Show me that. Let me see that with that foam finger. I'm number one. I'm number one. To the person who wants to hear that, they don't want to hear that they still struggle with sin. They like to walk in here, put the smile on their face, and the way they talk, it's like, wow. You know everything. You never fail. You're perfect. You're number one. Now, don't confuse this, because we like to go on different ends of the spectrum. Don't, don't walk around always defeated. No, what we're talking about is that this is victory when you put the sword to your flesh to look more like Christ, but recognizing that you fail, he does not. We trust in his word to reveal these things to us. And then we get to verse 13. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That's frightening. We talked about that last week. That's frightening. That God sees everything you do in your mind, in your heart, in your actions, what you say, he's seen it all. We don't see everything that you do. There are people who are fake to your face. We all, in some way, are fake to one another because we are terrified of confessing sins to one another for what that may lead to. But God sees it all. And somebody says, but I have trouble praying about this. Why do you have trouble praying about it? Because God already sees it. Take it to him in prayer. You're exposed. And so what we gather from this passage is those who are Hebrews, I mean, God can see whether they're truly his or not. The word of God helps work this out on our playing field. As we encourage one another, as we share the word of God with one another, as we read it. And so when we're naked and exposed before God because God's omnipresent and sitting in his right hand is is Christ, and interceding for us as the great high priest that we'll look at in the next chapter. And then we have God, the Spirit, living and dwelling inside of us. Nothing is hidden from his sight. You can't hide from God. That's terrifying. So wherever you're going right now to think that you're hiding, God sees it. I'm just going to be brutally honest. Wherever that little room is, In your house that you think nobody sees you, God sees you. Wherever you're going when you're supposed to be at work, but you're going somewhere else and you think that nobody sees you or your car, God sees you. The things that you're thinking about with other people and you're saying, as long as I'm thinking it, they'll never see it, God's heard it. He sees it all. And yet, Seeing all of these things, us at our absolute worst, he shows his grace. And you think I'm just talking about people who don't know Jesus. I'm talking about us, church. Nothing's hidden from his sight. Proverbs 15.3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Psalm 90, verse 8, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. So the word of God exposes our nakedness. How do we know what it is that offends God right here in his word? 
Because if you go by culture, everything's good. God loves you. God loves all people. In fact, there's multiple ways to get to God. Let's just all accept one another. And don't you dare look at me and say that I'm wrong. But the word of God exposes where we're wrong. And will you stand on that? And so nakedness is revealing. You know it. It's that dream you have where you go, oh my God, thankful it's just a dream. Right? No, it's real. And one day you'll realize that it's not a dream. When you stand before a holy, just God, and everything is seen that you have done against him. That is frightening. It sends people into hiding. So either we receive the word of God or we reject the word of God. It's one or the other. Are you receiving the word of God today or are you rejecting the word of God? When you are naked and exposed, you run or you submit. I pray, church, that you're submitting to the Lord and that you will submit until the end, that you will persevere until the end, that you will hold firmly to the word of God. Jesus was rejected by men. He was stripped naked. He was beaten and nailed to a cross, exposed for all to see. There was no sin in him, but our sin was placed on him so that we might become the righteousness of God. He was naked and exposed for us because he knows that we are exposed, naked and exposed before God. Trusting in the work that he did on the cross, you do not have to live in shame. You don't have to live in shame. You can live in victory. You can live with great hope. And that frightening day when you stand before the Lord, your trust is fully in what Jesus has accomplished. This is what we stand upon. The work of Christ exposes our need for a Lord and Savior. He fulfilled the word of God's promises, and he defeated death by rising from the grave. And it is by his word in the end that he will separate the sheep from the goats. Sheep from the goats. So today, are you a sheep or are you a goat? The sheep are his. The goats he cast out. You know, the funny thing is that when you see a sheep or a goat from a distance, it's hard to tell which is which. And many times it's hard for us to, to tell which is which, but the shepherd knows the sheep that are his. Make no mistake. He has an account for every single one of them. And so if you're his sheep, you don't have to worry about him losing you. And you right now in your seat are going, what do I do? How do I know if I'm a sheep or a goat? Let me know. Let me know. Trust in Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. He was naked and exposed. He was beaten. He took on our sins so that we wouldn't have to be sinful before God, that we could have hope in a Savior, have a Lord over our lives. Do you trust in Jesus that you would be his sheep? That's the question I have for you today, that if you are not a follower of Jesus, and as we close today, I'm just going to give you in brief, it's going to be up on the screen here, what I think is important for you to see. Where can I begin if I'm not really studying my Bible? Because if it, the, the truth is, I'm, I'm not even going to ask the question, um, and, and I'm not saying this with a defeatist attitude, I'm just saying it's, it's reality. There's a good chance that many in the room, you probably haven't read your Bible in the last week. Okay? You were hoping to get filled today, you're hoping to learn something today, and you're not studying the Bible. And if you have the Holy Spirit and you've heard this message, just like me as I'm working through this message, man, it, it convicts me to the core to remain in the Bible. 
And so I want to encourage you today. I want you to walk away encouraged that you would take hold of the Bible. Don't walk away defeated and say, oh, I never read the Bible. I might as well not read it now. No, pick up the Word of God. Begin to work through it. And here are a few things I just want to encourage you with. One, you need a translation you can understand. It's important to pick up a translation you understand. We use the English Standard Version. I believe it's very accurate and close to the original text. That's why we use it. Um, But make sure you have a translation you can understand. If you hold that the KJV is the only correct uh, Bible out there and that everybody else is dying and going to hell if they use the KJV, please let's set up a meeting immediately, okay? Let's talk, all right? We need to talk. But you need a Bible that you can understand that is vitally important, okay? A good translation. We can help you, Lee and the staff. We can help you in the back today. You say, hey, I'm one of those. I need that Bible I can understand. Help me. We're here to help you. Number two, daily set aside time to read. Daily set it aside. And just a sign you may see when you go, uh, well, at at certain uh, intersections and things and and bridges, slow down, don't drown, things that you may see um, at at times. Understand this, it is important for you when you read, not to think that it's how much you read that you get drowned in the scriptures that you walk away going, I don't know what I just read. Slow down, take hold of the word, read through a book of the Bible, okay? Number three, grab a friend and discuss the scripture together. You would just talk about what you're learning, questions you may have. And then when you get stumped on a question and both of you are stumped, come talk to somebody that you know and trust, understanding the word. Come talk to a community group leader. Come talk to a staff member. Come talk to somebody here. We can help you possibly with that. And if we don't understand, we're going to go dig and we're going to pray and we're going to find out. Number four, get involved in a community group. Here, we have plenty of them for you to come and join. Get involved in a community group. And community group leaders are going to make sure that you're studying the Bible, that you're going through it, and that you're learning the Bible. Do this together. Number five, take notes during the message. Yes, take notes. Not that I want to flatter myself here, okay? I'm just telling you, take notes during the message. During the sermon, go back and read over them during the week. I appreciate when somebody calls me during the week and says, you said this on Sunday. Did you really mean that? Can you back that up? And I appreciate that. That's sharpening. That doesn't offend me whatsoever. Okay? And if it does, I'll just get over it. Okay? But it's important for you to take notes, go back and read over these things. So, church members, be committed. Buy you a journal. Get you a nice little writing pen and bring it with you and just take notes. Isn't it nice on that first page? You want to write so neatly with your handwriting. And by page three, I mean, it's just everywhere, right? Bring it, take notes. Hear it, study it. So these things I leave with you, church. If you want to know more, Say, does the Bible really make a difference? Yes. Does the word transform? Yes. I'll leave you with this story. When God wills it, his word will pierce anyone. George Whitfield, the great 18th century evangelist, was hounded by a group of detractors who called themselves the Hellfire Club, derided him of his work, and mocked him. On one occasion, one of them from the Hellfire Club, a man named Thorpe, was mimicking Whitfield to his cronies, delivering Whitfield's sermons with brilliant accuracy, perfectly imitating his tone and facial expressions. When he himself was so pierced that he sat down and was converted on the spot. Mr. Thorpe went on to become a prominent Christian leader in the city of Bristol. So if you ever doubt that the word of God can bring transformation, 
even when somebody is mocking a preacher and his word can be converted on the spot. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. May we use the Bible as an offensive weapon and may it be offensive to us as it cuts and slices away the old self that we may live as new creatures in Christ Jesus for his glory day to day. Let us pray. Father, thank you. There's so much that we could cover in this passage alone. And Lord, I pray that what has been spoken today is glorifying to you and honoring to you, Father. I pray for the ones in this room today that do not know you, that as they've heard your word, that just the power of your word and how it transforms and what Christ has done for us on the cross, that they would be drawn to you. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you want to put your trust in him, you believe him in your heart, call upon him. Jesus, I trust what you did for me on the cross. I believe in you. Forgive me of my sins. I I trust you. I follow you. We as a staff are standing in the back, and when we begin to sing in just a moment, we would love to talk with you, those who want to follow Jesus. Today, you've realized that. You have questions. We're here for you. Don't let this time pass. Father, I pray for the church today as we've heard this, Lord, that we would allow the word to do spiritual surgery in us every day to cut away the old self. And God, that we would daily begin to reflect more and more of you, to look more like Christ for your glory. God, may we take joy in your word. May we embrace your word. May we memorize your word and hide it in our hearts. God, we thank you that you have given us your word to draw us closer to you. God, that others, too, may hear, repent, and follow. May we take your word into this city, to this town, this community, this week, without shame, but with great love and boldness. Lord, we thank you for this time. We continue to worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.